Scribes Journey is supported by our patrons. Join them today at patreon.com slash scribesjourney. Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is the Calm Scribe, Travis J. Crokin, and I am currently being joined with my fellow co-hosts and fellow scribes. I am L.J. Stanton, the Pedantic Scribe. And I am T.R. Albee, the Oddball Scribe. Uh, how are you both doing tonight? Well, normally I would say, like, I'm excellent, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I, I could admittedly be a little bit better today, so we'll, we'll go with that. I'm doing okay leaves are falling and happy that all the bugs have gone back to hell i'm doing well i'm getting over a brutal cold but i'm starting to feel better and actually have a voice again so the last podcast that we did was talking about beta readers and sensitivity readers the homework that we had for the last episode was to look into how you would react to your beta readers potentially negative feedback but do think about how you're going to react to that because it's hard to get even well-meaning criticism back on something that you've worked so hard on. Well, do you guys have a coping method for when you do have negative feedback? For me, it's just knowing that I'm smarter than everyone else and just ignoring what they have to say. Um, <laughs> no, actually, <laughs> <laughs> I, I take it for what it is. That's something that I know I'm not going to please everyone. Uh, even if you look at really fantastic movies that are out there, you can think of the best movie you could have ever seen. And there's going to be people that have hated it. There's going to be people that it didn't touch them or react the same way. And unless it's people just being outright cruel and hurtful for the sake of being cruel and hurtful, I'm pretty good at prioritizing and segmenting the criticism and understanding that they're offering that criticism to make my work better. And I don't have all the answers, which is why I need to work with other people and have other people put eyes on my work so they can help me find the answers that I'm looking for. For me, I tend to, uh, by the time I'm giving my manuscript over to a beta reader or an editor or any other professional that is going to be giving me feedback, I have done two things. I've divested myself emotionally from the situation. So I've put up some walls and gotten ready for whatever feedback they might want to give me. And I also honestly, and it's because I'm a very like, a person who does well with conflict. I have a very adversarial uh, relationship with my manuscript. By the time I'm handing it off to people, I am ready for that damn thing to be torn apart viciously by readers so that we can actually turn it from the pile of crap that is in front of me that I'm sick of looking at into something golden and beautiful and award-winning. And the other people are there to help me do that. I was just going to say beer as my coping method, but coffee i i love your your answers as well i mean those are those are very very eloquent i mean and it's exactly why we have beta readers and professionals to help us do the things we do exactly and that again reinforces what we've been saying all this time that is that writing is not a solitary art you have people you talk to you have people you bounce ideas off of you have people that you scream and vent to people that review your work in no means is writing in a solitary art it involves so many people along the way but tonight we're talking about final revisions, experts, and professionals, because we're going through the process of writing a novel. And that's the big thing is you've sent your work off to your beta readers and they've given you the feedback, you've processed it. 
Uh, LJ, do you have anything to say about the whole final revisions aspect of things? We've touched on it a lot in the past, but there's still a few things that we can still briefly touch on for it. My final revision stage, you know, which is somewhat of a misnomer because it's the like I still want to be inputting what my professionals are going to be putting in. But when it comes to those final edits, as I said, I'm at the adversarial stage with my work. I am so ready for them and I get really excited about them. And I think that's the thing that can be lost some of the time is that especially when you're new to writing, you get very nervous about the opinions of the other people. And it's it should be something that you get excited about. And that takes a lot of work to get to that point. But that is kind of the lens you should be trying to view the feedback with is that this is exciting. Somebody has put in the time and effort. They thought you were good enough, worthwhile enough, all of these things to read your manuscript and give you feedback. And that's the thing. And that is something you should be excited for it. And as you go through and you gain experience, you do gain that level of excitement of, I get to make this thing even better. And I get to have the input and feedback. And there is also, as much as there is, oh, you need to change this, you need to tweak that. You do get a couple pats on the back and a bit of inflated ego from it when people are saying, this is amazing. I can't believe you wrote this scene. How did you come up with this? And I really hate that character. And that kind of gives you that, okay, yeah, I, this, this is right. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. So what do we mean by editors and professionals? When it comes to editors and professionals, just looking at editing, there's three main styles of editing. There's a lot of other styles of editing that you can get into. But the ones that we talk about most often are dev edits. This is where you're looking at revising, reordering, fixing original material, determining whether or not permissions are needed and kind of sorting all that stuff out. It's the moving of the pieces around to make sure they flow properly. And then you have the line editing, which is editing to create meaning or clarify meaning, ensure coherence, flow. You're establishing and making sure that the mood and tone and style and everything is solid all the way through with what you're doing, because that's something that can shift as you're writing. And then we also have the copy editing, which is looking for correctness, accuracy, consistency, checking for grammar, spelling, punctuation, usage. Oftentimes, these three things bleed together. The editors aren't just looking at it to make sure you've got your commas and apostrophes in the right places and you're not using jargon. They're also the ones that should have the experience and the ability to look at this and say, ah, you used a professional name in this. You're going to need to get permissions. You quoted a song lyric. You need permissions and rights in order to do that. And they should be able to look at it and tell you what potential legal pitfalls you're looking into, what rights and permissions you need to look into, and making sure that when your piece goes out, you're not going to get slapped by anything. And I think this does just bring up a very good point that when you are researching what kind of editor you're looking for, one, do your research into it. And two, when you're talking with an editor that you should be, you know, emailing back and forth and making sure that you guys are both crystal clear on the expectations. Because the last thing you want is thinking that you're hiring a copy editor and find out that you hired a dev editor when you maybe didn't need a dev editor. I know what I look for if I'm going to be going for multiple types of edits. I find a editing house. So it won't necessarily be one person who's going to be taking a look and doing all of the different edits, but it will still be under that house so that I know for sure that there is a certain level of like quality control that will be happening so that I don't have to worry about, you know, going and finding say three different editors and letting the owner of said house do a lot of the quality control for me because I just, I don't have time for that. Okay. I have a real quick question. 
I haven't been down this path yet. I had a novel I wrote years ago that I sent to an editor, but I didn't know what type of editor I wanted. I found a children's book editor and sent it off to her. She sent me back the edits. And I'll be honest, I never actually really went through and did the editing. But we've talked about all the different types of editors we could find and what functions they have. But how do you determine what editors you actually need going forward? You're going to try to clean up your novel, your short story, your picture book to the point that when you send it to someone, they're going to be adding the final touches. But when you are someone who's brand new to sending things to editing like myself, how do you know which ones you're going to choose? Because it all, in the end, does cost some level of money. I get copy and line edits, and I do get them actually from the same editor. They provide a package for me where they will do both. And leading up before I send it to her, I do try to make sure that the obvious and most egregious mistakes are gone, mostly so that she's not distracted by them. You know, anything that I can solve, I can reasonably solve myself. Right. I want to solve myself because I want her to see the things that I'm missing because we all get that eye fatigue, you know, where we think that we know what the sentence says and we keep going. And our editors aren't immune to that. They're very good at catching themselves when they do start sliding into that problem. But every single book that is out there in publishing has editorial mistakes because they're human. And so if I can get rid of as many mistakes as possible ahead of time, I try to because I am not a grammar wizard. When I do editing, I do dev edits for people because anyone who has seen my early manuscripts can tell you they're terrible. Like they are riddled with mistakes that I go back and fix and then be glad my editor fixes. So nobody should pay me to fix that. That also saves you cash, right, too, because again, I've seen the cost of like a, like an editor and I'm not sure if it's different, but on average, what I've seen is that's like one cent to three cents per word, because I think a lot of people who are publishing for the first time, like myself, when you see, hear the idea of an editor, you also think yourself, holy shit, I'm going to have to sell my kidney. I don't know how much per words or per hour, but is there a difference in the cost or, or like the structure that most compared to like developmental or content editing? Most well, that I have seen go by word, okay. but mine charge under a penny a word. Oh, um, I want their number. But that is, it, it's a difference though between editors that are working with novelists right. versus editors that are working with, you know, if you're writing short stories or that specialize in different areas. Because if I had to pay a penny a word, I have 182,000 words in my beast of a book. So you can do the math of how much that would have cost. And I did not pay that for the editing. I find that I prefer the to the word one because it's on the contract. There's a lot less quibbling. I know exactly how many words there is. And then I can, you know, give you a, this is how much it costs. And we're done. There's a ton of other type of professionals that, that are out there we could probably hire to help us with multitudes of things in our book. I like that word, multitudes. So what are some of the other ones? My hill to die on 
is that especially if you are a self-publishing author, you need a cover artist and likely a typographer and a formatter for your book. But my hill to die on are those covers. Because if somebody picks up your book, well, somebody won't even pick up your book if it doesn't look good. We aren't supposed to judge. Well, there's, it's a dumb saying not to judge a book by its cover, since the covers are quite literally there to help you judge the book. We all want to have a good first impression. Give your book the best possible chance when you've given it out into the world and hire a cover artist. Does your cover artist also do internal art? Like if you had a map when you needed them to draw or something else, or do they just focus on just cover art? Mine focuses on my cover art. I have several other artists that I work with for different artwork, depending on what I want. So my cover artist, I wanted something that was more kind of old-fashioned, high fantasy feel. And I so I wanted someone who would really specialize in that. Whereas when I was looking at like some of the kind of character and world building artwork that I wanted to put on the website, I went and ended up talking with Randy Hagman. He's an artist that used to work with Blizzard very closely. It really depends on what you're looking for. And I think for when it comes to like kids books that have more pictures, you definitely want to be working with an illustrator instead of a artist. I agree completely with what LJ said. If you've got a certain style for like for for YA, if you've got a certain style for the cover and then slightly different style going through, I say like chapter headings or something, or the occasional image, that's perfectly acceptable. It's something you can completely do. You can do both. But if you're doing a full picture book, you want the continuity going through. But then there's also other professionals that we can get into as well, uh, such as dealing with agents. Their job is to get your body of work into the hands of a traditional publishing house. They take a percentage, depending on if it's local, if it's international, if it's international, there's a variety of things that tie into it. And if you're working with a reputable agent, you don't pay them anything. Now, there may be little things here and there, like mailing fees and faxing fees and photocopy fees and stuff like that, little things here and there, but that should be clearly stated up front. The expectation should be there as to any and all fees that may be attributed, and they should never incur any fees without your knowledge ahead of time. But your agent is paid when they place that work in someone's hand, the contract is signed with your permission and your knowledge. You should never have your agent saying, oh, by the way, here's a contract you have to sign. They should be carrying you all the way along and keeping you informed of everything. And then when the money comes in from the book being in the publishing house, the money gets paid to your agent. And within two weeks, your cut, which is either usually 85 or 80%, should be in your bank account. If you've got an agent coming up to you and saying, pay me $5,000 and I will put this out there, run the other way. Beyond an agent, there are a number of other different professionals we could also hire, right? I've always been curious about the difference between an internal formatter and uh, a typography. I think I'm, I'm totally not pronouncing this right, am I? It's the person who goes in and looks at the font and the characters and kind of configures that for you in your book. Your typographer is typographer. the person... Yeah, typographer. That's how you pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, is the person who, if you don't get a graphic designer, your typographer is going to be the specialist who puts words on your cover okay. and on your spine and on your back cover. Your internal formatter, who could also be a typographer, is going to help you format your book so that it's ready for print. So they're the person that you could pay to deal with the headache 
that is trying to figure out all of your margins, making sure that there's no blank pages where there shouldn't be blank pages, making sure that if you want chapters to start on the middle of the next page, that all of your chapters start in the middle of the next page instead of most of them starting there. But there's a funky little bit of formatting. So this one actually starts halfway down the bottom of the same page, etc. They can also help you figure out, yeah, what is the best font giving your genre? I know I did a lot of the internal formatting myself, including picking the font. And a lot of books actually will list what the font is that they are formatted in in the front of the book. So I spent a lot of time looking at different books that are in the same genre as what I was publishing in to find out what is the correct kind of feel because that all helps with the immersive experience. And it's not something that most people really think about, but if you picked up a book and it was just an aerial or like, God forbid, what is it? Calibri? Time <laughs> whatever the, yeah. whatever yeah. word is automatically, it would just, it wouldn't feel right. Feel like I'm asking a lot of questions this episode because you know I haven't really been down this path yet. Eventually, I'm going to be in the process of looking for people to do the editing to make these changes. And I know we've talked a lot about the different types of professionals, but where do you actually find these people? Depends on what you're looking for. There's websites that list professionals. You can do searches. There's books for myself, and I know for you, Ted. Uh, we're both members of the Society for Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. They've got a book that they release that you can find stuff in. There's also a tome called The Writer's Market. Uh, this gives you access to a ton of different agents, publishing houses, magazines, different things that you can, uh, resources that you can look into as well. Yeah, and I agree with you. I have the 2020 version of that Writer's Market guide, and it has a ton of resources when it comes to agents, when it comes to editors. They actually have a few other books, too, that are out there, one specifically around agents. There's one that focuses on children's books and illustrators for them. There's even one for short stories and poetry. But you know what I found has been the most effective way to finding people over the last few years, especially over the last few years? Definitely been networking. Networking is a hugely important aspect of it. You know, oh, yeah. if you're going to conventions, if you've got guild memberships like this, networking with people, reaching out to people and asking questions can definitely get you really good recommendations. And then it's also just word of mouth and things like that, which comes down to the networking is you get your name in other people's mouths and you hear the names of other people when you're talking, which is a fantastic thing. But there are sites that you can go through like Fiverr and other sites that you can go to to check out, find people that can do work for you as you're going through stuff. Well, as far as cover artists and whatnot, I looked at Reddit because there are actually some really awesome art Reddits, subreddits, that you can find the kind of artwork that you would want. And then you can go to ArtStation and view their the different art that they do and reach out and have the contact information so that you can actually get in touch with some really cool, like up and coming artists, which also then helps with your budget. So we're going to take a quick pause here. And when we come back, we're going to be diving deeper into the specifics of what to expect and what to look for when you're working with a professional. Predominantly, what about the contract? What should be in your contract? What you should be looking for and what you should be watching out for? So with that, we'll be right back after this break.
welcome back. You've hired a professional and now it comes time to sign the contract. And yes, you have to have a contract. If you don't, it will come back to bite you. What are the things that you need to think about and to take into consideration when you're signing a contract with a professional, be it typography, illustration, editing, any of these things? Well, you need to read it. And a lot of people, I know we're in the age of, you know, just hitting the check mark. I agree to the terms and conditions on this page, blah, blah, blah. Click it, continue on, and there you go. Don't do that. Read the contract. And if it's a contract that you don't understand, then take it to a contract specialist. Take it to someone who knows and can understand what all of the potential legalese is so that you know what you are signing. Because otherwise, you might be signing away your rights to the intellectual property. You might be signing away your ability to market your book by, say, putting artwork on any of the promotional materials. You might be signing away the rights to any adaptations. Like, I generally tell people, you know, it's your idea. Nobody is actually going to steal it while you're writing it. But once things are done and finished and completed, once it's at the rights stage... That is where you should be protecting yourself zealously. This is where publishing houses can prevent you from finishing series and can force you to change to a different, you know, audiobook narrator, all of these other things. I have a friend who wrote this really great book and she was picked up by a really big publishing company. And she ran into a similar issue with that as far as the rights for the movies. And the contract literally said, stated that it would be a race. You know, who could get this produced and set first, right? Who can find someone to... And it's ridiculous. She had to go back and figure it all out. It was a nightmare. Regardless of what it is, you know, anything that you're signing for, you know, you need to read that contract through and through. That just should be a rule of law for you if you're signing something. Don't just skip over crap because you're going to get yourself in a load of trouble. Yeah, I was gonna say, I'm going to take that a step further and say that one, I go through all of my contracts with my clients line by line, make sure they understand everything that's in there and why it's in there and what it means and have a lawyer or someone who is familiar with contract law, look at it. Now there's a caveat to this. Literary contracts are very different from other contracts. So a normal contract lawyer may look at it and go, whoa, what is this? It's actually standard. Their literary contracts are different. And so go to someone who understands, understands literary contracts, have a second set of eyes on it. Go through it line by line. Make sure you know what's in there because there are some insidious and subtle things that can be put in that I've seen that you don't want to fall into. There's the big things of people stealing your work, like we've already discussed. That's a terrible thing to have happen. However, if you're working with an editor and an editor actually goes in, changes a couple of lines, moves something around, puts in and gives you an idea and puts that in, unless it explicitly states in your contract that you remain sole ownership and control of everything that's inside that document, If that book becomes very popular, that editor can come back and say, I contributed on this document. I want money. I want my royalties. So you want to make sure that everything is in there and everything is legitimate and everything is clearly defined and explained and you understand what's going on. If you're working with someone reputable, there shouldn't be any shady dealings. Even if you don't anticipate selling a lot of books, even if you're kind of doing the like, you know what, this is the one book that I'm writing. And I'm, I'm satisfied with this. And it might only be like 10 people who buy it. You don't control it once it goes to market 100%. Because one of those 10 people could be a massively famous person who loves it and just promotes the hell out of it because they loved it. 
So your contracts, you need to read them and understand them as if you could be viral, famous tomorrow, making millions and understand whether or not you have signed away royalties without realizing it. But there's also information in there besides all the legal stuff. But there's also like, for instance, if you're getting an editor or an artist, how much art you're they're going to produce for you. you and how you, many revisions. How many revisions, exactly, for, for an editor, right? And I'm assuming that's also probably, you know, for your copy editor, they'll probably have, you know, X amount of edits in there. Same thing, actually, same thing for an artist. You know, if you have a piece of art, you're like, oh, this is okay. But it could be a lot better if you change this. There might be a clause in there that says, hey, you can only have two edits per piece of art. But if you're expecting more and if you're not happy with the, the final result and if you haven't read the contract, you're kind of stuck. You have to understand exactly what the contracts are saying. You have to see exactly what the expectations of the contract is. And like Travis and you and LJ has said, if you don't, then you need to bring it to someone who is a professional that has experience with writing contracts. I'm sure there's a list of those lawyers out there, too, that we could probably find and, and reference. Right. Or, or maybe Absolutely. Not. And I know that this all sounds scary. And in some ways, it's important that it does sound scary because it is hugely important. But you're going into a contract, especially when it's like with an indie, um, you know, indie publishing house or an indie editor uh, or an up and coming artist. Like most people are not out there to screw you over. And understanding that contracts are a negotiation is hugely important. So it's remembering that you go into reading a contract and you can read it. And if it makes you uncomfortable, you can get clarification on it. You can find out if, you know, say the artist only gives three revisions. And if you think that you really are going to need potentially more than that, you can just ask before signing, hey, if I want additional revisions, how much does that cost? Can we add that into the contract? Communication is important. And as writers, we should know this. But it's hugely important to communicate with the other person about what your expectations are for the contract, just as it's important that those expectations then are outlined in the contract so you know exactly what you're getting. And then you're also setting up the professional that you're hiring for success because then they know what they're supposed to be giving you. You know, if I approach a cover artist and just tell them, oh, hi, I love your artwork. I want to buy a like giant gorgeous piece of work for you. But if I don't tell that artist that, hey, I need it to be good if it is going to be printed. I need it good if it's going to be on an ebook. I need it good in all these different formats. I need it these particular sizes. Then you might get an absolutely stunning landscape piece of artwork when you needed a portrait or vice versa. So Contracts just help keep communication clear for you and whoever you're hiring. Anyone who is really a huge stickler about their contract and does the, hey, my contract is not in negotiation. It is written in stone. And if you don't like it, go then go. Don't sign contracts that you're uncomfortable with. So with all that being said, final revisions are something you're going to have to deal with. And experts and professionals are something you have to deal with. You have to be careful. You have to take your contracts, look at your contracts and do all that stuff. But it's a process. And now you kind of see a little bit more of what we're talking about at the beginning, where we said that writing is not a solitary task. It takes a village to get something out there that's of high quality. And it's an important thing to do to take that time to go through. 
there's a reason why sometimes it takes a couple of years for a book to get out. Not necessarily five years, certain authors in particular, but it can take some time to get uh, a book that's out there. Uh, any I'm other feeling called out right No, not now. you. No, I was thinking of another, <laughs> another uh, very well-known author. That's so well-known. I'm not going to mention their name. There are many. But there's a, there's a few authors that people are like, oh, come on, um, which is an important thing to keep in mind. So with all of that, uh, it's now time for the call to action. So for your prep for the next episode, go and review some of the editor's tests. There's some free ones online. Take them yourself so that you kind of know what you should be expecting from your editor. Hang on to them to send to an editor. And go and find a legend that has all of what the editor marks mean, just in case your editor is one that is going to print off your book and write in the margins and write on the manuscript itself. You really want to be able to understand what those marks mean so that you're not sitting there trying to interpret a bloody mess and have no idea what you're looking at. And for your book of the month, go check out a writer's resource for yourself. See if you could find something like the writer's market or a guide that gives you information about agents, editors, proofreaders. Go check out, see what you can find. That will get you ready for our next episode which will be all about proofing and prepping for publishing. And as always, you can follow us on social media at The Scribes Journey on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Now go sharpen your quill and get back to writing. This episode of Scribe's Journey has been presented by Wax Seal Productions Incorporated and remixed by T.R. Albert.